Welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Hoops podcast. I'm Dalton Del Don. That diva, Andy Barons, is on vacation once again. But that's good news. That means Josh Lloyd is here again. He's the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast, lead fantasy basketball analyst for Basketball Monster, and he works for our friends at Yahoo Sports Australia. Thanks for joining us, Josh. No worries, Dalton. It's good to be back. Before I fire off a bunch of second half questions for you, talk briefly some all-star chat. I know it's been a couple days. Producer Ragu was there. He said it was very, very cold, and he understands why Barons escaped to the warmer climate. Uh, Mainly I wanted to talk about it because I had Bam at plus 950 in the skills challenge. I had them all for the wrong reasons. I thought they were going to match up the bigs at first, but anyway, that went well. The, uh, the same dunk contest I thought was pretty interesting. Connaughton got robbed with the Billy Hoyle. White men can't jump dunk. And Aaron Gordon getting a low, lower score for dunking over Taco Fall, who's seven foot five. Then the All-Star game. Man, I really love this Elam ending. Um, I had Team LeBron minus six in that one, so it wasn't all winners for me. Um, man, there was more than 15 minutes of actual gameplay in the fourth quarter. I could not have been more wrong. When I heard how that was going to be set up, I said, do they not realize how much scoring in, in the All-Star game? That fourth quarter is going to last no time. 43 minutes without commercials. I mean, the defense, Kyle Lowry's flopping, taking charges. Uh, that was fun. We'll talk about the ramifications like Kimba playing 29 minutes and already being ruling out, ruled out Friday. But what were your thoughts with all the All-Star game uh, weekend, Josh? Well, yeah, with the All-Star game, I, I use it as a great time for myself to have a break and and yeah, a break as the All-Star break is. So I don't watch a huge amount of it. I obviously kept up with everything that was happening. And from what everyone spoke about in terms of the ending and the way that the changes were, it, it worked pretty well. But in terms of you know, the, the importance to it, especially for fantasy basketball, the only sort of importance that, that really, I think, comes out of it is the situation, like you mentioned, with Kemba. And if any injuries do go down, it can also be used as a way of you know, players who get pushed into the spotlight a little bit more, like someone like Derek Jones, and people will be more excited about him. And sometimes you can parlay that into extra trade value. But in terms of the, the game itself, I'm glad that it was more competitive. But I tried to... Um, you sort of decompress myself from basketball over those couple of days normally. For sure. It totally makes sense. Um, you're not alone in that sentiment, I'm sure. But it was entertaining. And man, this Elam ending, I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it is interesting. There's an argument it is better than our current construction. But uh, for another day, let's get to our starting five. Oh, we'll start off with Kyrie Irving. He aggravated that shoulder injury. He's going to undergo surgery now. He's out indefinitely. Obviously, he can be dropped in all fantasy leagues. Almost certainly out for the season. This shouldn't come as a shock. Um, you know, with Kyrie, but uh, so we have Spencer Dinwiddie's usage rate jumps from 21% to 31 with him off the court. The other big beneficiary is Chris Levert, similar jump in usage rate. Um, what are your thoughts with him? He was kind of going off right before Kyrie got hurt. Um, do you like him moving forward? Well, the thing with Levert, there was a couple of things there, like the the extra minutes, the extra usage, all that stuff I think is real as we move forward with our Kyrie. But he was also combining those increased numbers and the increased role with a massive increase in his efficiency, which I don't buy. Uh, He struggled with efficiency basically all throughout his career. We saw it at the start of the season where he couldn't hit free throws, he couldn't hit field goals, his three-point percentage was down. And even over his last three games, he's at 51% from the field and 90% from the line, which aren't numbers that he can do. And that's got nothing to do with Kyrie being there or, or not being there. So the increased shots, yes. The increased usage, no worries. The increased minutes, the, the role, the, the 
the playmaking, all that stuff's fine. I just don't trust any of that level of shooting that Levert, who's hitting 48% of his threes over the last uh, over the last two weeks, I, I don't really see how that's got anything to do with Irving being there or not, and that will suffer a, a drop back. Now, he should be rostered in every league, but this level of production we've seen from him over this little period of time since Irving went out with what was the knee injury, which now is back to a shoulder injury, um, is a little bit unreal to me. Yeah, that, that all makes sense. It figures that Levert was going to play better the further he was removed from that leg injury. But that shooting is just a hot streak that's totally unsustainable. But man, you got to love the volume. That 30.4 usage rate yeah. uh, this season without Kyrie, to give reference, uh, that's top 20, right around in between like Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker on the season. So you got to love that. And yeah, he's 76% owned in Yahoo League. So that just must be dead. Deadly. He's got to be owned in, in all competitive leagues. Where What are you doing with Kyrie next year? Obviously, there's a Kevin Durant issue as well but where do you think just right now where you, you would rank him entering next year of drafts Kyrie this season has been awesome on, on a per game awesome. basis like there's there's no doubt about that like we're talking a top seven top eight sort of numbers like really really strong and of course you're never drafting him there but the overall sentiment to co- towards Kyrie not only with the injuries but the just the, the wide, wide amount of negativity towards him. Oh, you know, the, the early season, so he was faking this shoulder injury because he didn't want to play in Boston. The flat earth stuff, the the callouts, everyone hates Kyrie. And I've seen people who say, like, I wouldn't even draft him if he was there in the top 200 or in round five or round six. And, and that's ridiculous because, yes, you wouldn't draft him in round one and you'd probably let him slide out of round two. But anything from round three onwards, I, I would take that risk. There's, there's a number of things that have happened this season that just won't continue to happen. Like, he's not going to... He's not going to have most likely a significant shoulder injury again next year. Look, that, that could happen, but it also, well, Chris Paul's played every game this year. These things don't always uh, occur. And once that value occurs in round three, round four, if he's there in round five, that, to me, it's an absolute no-brainer. Very much like it was for Paul this year, who was you know, available in, in nearly every draft in round four or round five. Yeah, polarizing player for sure. Going to still be a monster on a per-game basis, even with Durant. But yeah, you got to knock him the first couple rounds just because of this constant injury concern. But at some point, sure, he'll be a steal there. Last net, just to touch on real quick, Torian Prince is owned in just about half of Yahoo leagues, should be owned in all of them, I think, as well. Does he benefit from Kyrie or, or not really here as far as usage rate? I don't really think it changes that much for him. Look, he's played pretty much all of this season without Kyrie anyway. Like, Kyrie's barely played. And... Prince has been on the sort of peripheries of leagues. His shooting is horrendous. His rebounding is up this season as, as from where it was in the past. Um, look, what is he? He's averaging 12 and 6. Like, that's not that exciting. He's shooting 38% from the field. And again, majority of his 53 games have been without Kyrie playing. And also the majority of them have been without Karis Levert. So Levert comes in there. So while you look at that 20% usage that he's had over the season, that actually might fall off somewhat depending on how they run things, but I'm not overly excited about him thinking, wow, it's going to be this huge jump. Because remember, from what we've seen from the Nets for most of this season, it has been without Kyrie. So what they've been doing for the the majority of the year is what we should sort of expect as we move forward. Yeah, that's all fair. Um, all right, you tempered my expectations on, on Torrey and Prince. But you're right, though. You take Kyrie off and you look the, the usage numbers on and off. And uh, it's clear that, that Dinwiddie's played the, the very, the mass, yeah. most of his, majority of his minutes this year with him off the court anyway. Um, all right, number two, Carl Anthony Towns is expected to miss multiple games. Going to receive a second opinion on this ailing wrist. Um, obviously, D'Lo gets a massive usage increase. Probably will build up similar type numbers when he was with the Warriors, uh, thin roster there. But are we adding any of these bigs? Nas Reed has a good per third city, 36 numbers, but is that really going to translate? James Johnson, Juan Hernan Gomez, none of the above. What do you think, Josh? 
Um, look, in terms of permanent fantasy production, Reed is probably the best of that group, but he has significant issues. Like he's a he's a really bad defender. His efficiency has uh, problems. Um, Johnson is again. I think if we're looking at who the best player is out of the group, it probably is James Johnson still at this stage. But will they prioritize a, a 30-year-old, John, sorry, 33-year-old Johnson uh, and give him those minutes? They did start him last game at center. Um, but will they continue to do that? That, that? That's the concern. Hernan Gomez is a guy who has limited defensive ability in terms of being able to generate defensive stats for fantasy. He gets no assists. Uh, his shooting has been horrible for most of this year. I think he's more of a peripheral guy. I'd be more inclined to take a flyer on Johnson or a Reed. Uh, probably go with a Reed. Just that there is that higher upside and more of a chance that they say, "Well, you know, from mid March on, we'll play him thirty minutes a night and just see what happens." Uh, whereas Johnson, I could see them playing him twenty four, twenty five, which is still good enough to, to be useful in most fantasy leagues. But I think they might push Reed that little bit extra. Yeah, I'm with you. I've, I've been grabbing Reed in places I can. So glad I held Gorgie Jang so much for the first half in, in some leagues with deeper benches. Uh, Omri Spellman, it looks like he's going to be a buyout. Uh, do you agree that D'Lo is going to go nuts in this situation if, if say, Cat misses the rest of the season? I think we're going to see a, a a bit of a jump from him. I also think we're going to see a lot from Malik Beasley in this situation as yes, well. We yes, saw that last yeah. game. Uh, I was a bit worried about how Beasley would fit with Russell and how his shots would go, but we saw Russell and Beasley together with no towns, and they both took a ton of shots. And I think Beasley's going to take a ton, and he is going to be really, really interesting as we move forward here. Um, yeah, maybe even more so than Russell, because we've seen Russell, like there is an upper limit as to what he can do. He's not going to come out here and have a 45% usage or anything like that, but Beasley can take a big jump up, or Russell might take somewhat of a step up, but he can't. it's hard to go from uh, really, really high to extraordinarily really high. Look, that, that sort of jump is a harder one to take, whereas Beasley could easily jump up a, a big significant amount from what he's done over the course of this season. Yeah, Beasley's been great firing up threes at will. Um, are we, have we seen enough of Culver? Um, as a Warriors fan, selfishly, wouldn't be too upset if he turns into a bust and they continue to have poor uh, records the next two years. Uh, thoughts on Culver's in deep leagues or no? Yeah, look, he's not he's not very good at this point. The shooting's no, hor- horrible. No. They they as much as weird as it is, like fifty games in, they seem to be deprioritizing him already. Like we're seeing yeah, a, a Kogi start. Beasley's already stepped up in front of him. Uh, he's you know. They thought maybe their future of him is being a point guard. Well, that's not the case because Russell's in there now. They're playing Jordan McLaughlin at point guard, so the assist opportunities are down. It has to be a pretty deep league for me to really care about Culver at this point, and he has looked uh, bad pretty much all season. All right, number three, uh, Reggie Jackson's buyout. He's headed to the Clippers. So I assume this makes him just totally droppable. Uh, definitely a change in situations there. And also bad news for Pat Beverly, Landry Shamit. Um, interesting, I've talked a lot on this podcast and in columns, Bruce Brown. We finally see him unleashed. And uh, Derek Rose kind of stumbled into the All-Star break. But man, no Jackson, no Blake Griffin, uh, no Andre Drummond. I mean, he could he could really benefit there too. And then Luke Kennard when eventually he returns. I don't even know if Kennard's going to return. Like this is such a weird yeah. injury, just bilateral knee soreness, and still, mm. you know, a week or so away. I think he's getting in some practice at the moment, but it's no guarantee that he's even back. The interesting quotes from Casey, and I have plenty of quibbles with Casey as a coach, saying, you know, we want to see what these young guys can do, and then mentioned we want to see Brandon Knight play at point guard. So that didn't really make a ton of sense <laughs> yeah. to me in that scenario. He also said after playing Brown at point guard for nearly all of the beginning of the season, said we don't view him as a point guard, we want to play him at the yeah. two. And if that means if Canard's back, then Brown's not going to see really any time at all. I don't know what they're going to do with Rose because you know, that first game back after after his injury, it's really tough to gauge. He played like 15 minutes, and that was just easing back after the injury. There's no way they're going to sit him and play him 15 minutes a night as we move forward. But, of course, the chance of him getting injured is always high. 
I, I think they're going to be some interesting situations there in Detroit. I think you'll see Jordan Bone get opportunities at, at times. They signed Derek Walton to a 10-day, who, again, is not really going to be too much of a fantasy option. Uh, Brown is probably the most interesting one, but they mentioned Svee McAuliffe also is handling the ball, which seems a horrible idea to me, but maybe they, they get a bit of Svee in there. At least it means we get him getting minutes over Langston Galloway, but with Casey's over-reliance on Galloway over the last two years, I wouldn't be surprised if he logs 30 minutes a night ahead of these guys like McKay Luke or Brown or Bone or any of these players because you know, Casey's ability to uh, prioritize young guys, it often takes you know, sledgehammers for him to actually admit that he needs to do that, like with Christian Wood when we saw at the beginning of the year when Drummond was out, when Griffin was out, and he still wouldn't play Wood and you know, took 50 games for him to realize that that's probably a good idea. I am still stashing Bruce Brown. We bring up some... Some good points and concern with the coaching there. Christian Wood has been unleashed, though. He looks like he's going to be a monster down the stretch. Uh, any thoughts on Thon Maker, possibly? Um, look, they're playing him like a 24-25 minute a night role. He has historically not been good. Poor rebounder, can block some shots, but the three-point shot has been way off. But like we talked about with Levert, you know, Maker's shots have been falling in this uh, time, uh, coincidentally, since that role's been pushed up. I don't really like him as a must-roster guy. He's more of a, a guy, yeah, look, by all means, take a flyer on him. But in 24 minutes a night, historically, he hasn't shown that good permanent production. It's looking okay at the moment, but I don't really fully trust it as we move forward. Surely they want to get Dumbaya some of these minutes. But hey, again, Casey wants to prioritize the young guys by playing uh, John Henson and Brandon Knight. Go off on a tangent. I know you're not a fan of buyouts in general. And how do you think it should change the rules with that? Um, I think that what it should be is that anyone who's bought out after the trade deadline should not be eligible for the playoff rosters. No, it totally makes sense. It does seem totally bizarre right now. Number four, Clint Capella out weeks. Uh, plantar fasciitis. I mean, obviously the Hawks are in no rush to to bring him back. So Dwayne Dedman, the obvious guy, is on the most added list, which surprised me. He should have already been owned number 28 fantasy player the last two weeks. Had a couple of nice games, even with the Kings. Um, before leaving there is average a combined 2.4 stocks when starting the season quietly a top 50 guy last year in Atlanta so he needs to be owned absolutely everywhere right yeah I, I can't say why he he isn't um, obviously there was concerns that when Capella would come back his value would drop significantly but now we've got this delay here on uh, on Clint returning I still think that Capella will play this season but I don't know when that'll be. That could be um, late March for for all we know. Um, and yeah, Deadman's going to be that guy that logs 30 minutes a night, probably blocks two shots a game, hits threes, grabs boards, and he's going to be a pretty clear top 100 guy over that stretch. And benefits maybe John Collins a little too, but yep. um, you're, so you're still holding Capella though, for sure. You're, you don't, yeah, he probably will come back, but it's, yeah, that's, that's concerning the fact that plantar fasciitis, I really only extended rest is really the only way to get rid of that. That's right. Um, all right, so uh, number five, uh, Robert Covington is now center eligible on this Rocket small ball. It's just one. Yahoo definitely has uh, very uh, lenient rules when it comes to eligibility and one start, and it looks like we've already given it to him. Um, just craziness. They added Jeff Green, Damari Carroll. Um, it's, Covington, it's, it's bizarre. You, add it, you go to a new team with two top five usage guys in Houston, and you increase your fantasy value. I think you project all three, him, Westbrook, and Harden and Covington, all top 15 fantasy value in nine cat leagues uh, down the stretch. Or correct me if I'm wrong. It's been fun to watch Westbrook just attacking the rim in this system. Um, yeah, man, just talk Houston. I, it is interesting to me that Covington gets center eligibility when to me it's been Tucker and Cephalosha that's been playing nearly all of those minutes. Like, okay, he's the 
the tallest guy out there by what an inch over over Tucker, but realistically he's not playing center. But you talked about the usage players in Westbrook and Harden there in Houston. The Covington's game has got nothing to do with usage. Like it doesn't matter if he has a right. seventeen or twenty percent usage. It's nothing to do with that. It's the fact that in Minnesota he was playing ridiculously twenty nine minutes a game, um, and now he comes to Houston he plays thirty five minutes a game. The pace is still high, both high-paced teams. His value comes from hitting threes, and he's going to take a ton of them. It comes from getting steals. It comes from uh, blocking shots and then getting rebounds. And if he's pushing up more at the four and then, again, allegedly playing minutes at the five, then those rebound numbers will come up. So it's about getting two steals, one and a half blocks, two and a half threes a game. That's where his value comes from. He's never going to be a 20-point-per-game scorer. In fact, he could score 12 points a game and still be that top 20, top 25 player because of those high volumes of, of steals, of blocks, of threes, of rebounds, a good free throw shooter, and all that stuff increases by playing that extra four, five, six minutes a game that he'll play in Houston versus what he was doing in Minnesota, which again is, is a real black mark to me on Ryan Saunders' coaching because I thought, hey, they're playing Covington 29 minutes a game. Oh, his knees must be stuffed. They're not going to play him. And then you'd see Towns go out and he'd play 35 minutes and then Towns would come back and he'd play 29 minutes. So it obviously wasn't his knees. It was the fact that Saunders didn't know what he was doing. And we're seeing that now in Houston, that these extra minutes, that this guy's actually a really good player. And if you wanted to not lose 16 games in a row, you probably should have played your better players more minutes. Yeah, he in the box, I checked multiple box scores. He was listed at center. I don't know if they just put him out there one game for the jump ball but uh whatever it is it's nice extra flexibility for fantasy fantasy owners but um yeah uh Westbrook's been so fun watching him do with a different style do you think Houston has upside in the postseason with 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 this yeah it's it's different um look you, we can people complain about uh, every NBA team plays the same and Houston's gone with something different and while over a seven game series it might allow teams to adjust and be like, okay, well, now we know what's happening with Houston. We can make our adjustments here. It's just not something they're going to see. And again, when you look at your team and the way that they've been playing uh, through the last two, three years, and they've always sort of failed at that final step, whether it was the Warriors and this year, it could be could have been the Clippers, or it could be the Bucks if they get to the finals, depending on what it is. They just say, well, we need to change something. It increases their variance, meaning that they might fail, but it also increases that percentage chance, whether that's a 10% finals chance or, or championship chance going from 10% to 20%, but your failure rate goes from you know, 10% to 40%, you've got to take that increased upside. And I think that's exactly what they're doing. I was going to wait till the end of the show, but I'm going to get you on now. This might be your last time on the podcast this year. So I want, I want your prediction right here and now, your finals finals prediction, Josh. Uh, preseason, I had uh, Clippers and Sixers. And then I think last, well, a couple of weeks ago, I, I did, a, did it on my show and I went with Bucks and Clippers. Who's okay? That's who I was going to say too. I was going to say Clips over Bucks. Who would you have in the winner there? Um, I think I would take the Clippers as well. Okay. All right. Same there. All right. Fair enough. I, I brought up your, your your projections that I, that I thought that you had all three in the top fifteen. Did any have any any interesting projections you might have redone over during your your time off for the second half? Did anything anyone jump out at you? Let's have a look. I did go through and uh, and redo all of the teams, or not redo them, but just re sort of tighten them and uh, and right. and balance them out. Um, just having a look there, I think yeah, Christian Wood appearing as a as a top fifty guy yeah. um, would surprise some people who maybe aren't a, as diehard players. Uh, that that would be a bit of a surprise to some. Um, let's have a look. Davis Bertans has come out pretty high. Marquise Chris in the top seventy. Um, I think yes. that would that would surprise. Love it, love it, love it. He's ever since he changed that two way contract to a two to a two year deal, he looks comfortable. I'm all in, man. Former top ten pick. I'm a, yeah, I like it. 
Yeah, look, I've criticised him a ton in the past because he was bad. Like, no, no problem with that because now he actually looks like he is more comfortable in what he's doing and he knows what he's doing. He's never had any problem in being able to generate numbers and we're seeing that now, but now he can actually stay on the court and that was always the problem. He'd have like 3,000, four minutes and then he'd have to sit out a game. But if he can play 30 minutes a night, the numbers are going to come and we're seeing that uh, at the moment. I think we've seen some impressive uh, Im- improvements from someone like um, Colin Sexton over the second half of the season. That's been good. I think Kevin Porter in Cleveland is going to be really interesting to watch. I think he's going to have a, a pretty significant role for this team uh, as, as they move forward. Uh, do you have any thoughts? Dalton, I'll switch it on to you. Do you have any thoughts on what the change of uh, Beeline to um, Bickerstaff will do? No, that's a perfect segue because I wanted your, your opinion on it. I guess Kevin Love said that he gave a powerful speech after resigning, uh, resigning, which is, uh, which is interesting. Um, yeah, I was definitely going to ask you where your projections were for Larry Nance. I mean, I assume you got to stash him in competitive leagues, but, uh, it'll be Sexton's fourth coach, I believe in 1.5 seasons and Kevin Porter. Yeah. Hopefully he's unleashed, but I don't know his bigger staff. So he is the future guy there, but is he going to coach with his own, um, interests more or the future of the organization? So I I don't know. I'm very curious to see what happens there. Well, yeah, from Bickerstaff's previous stops, he's not a good coach. Like, there's just no justification for him being a good coach or for him even being in the consideration to be an NBA head coach. Great assistant. But allegedly, the Cavs didn't bring him in to be an assistant. They brought him in to be a head coach in waiting. And this is not an interim gig. This is him being the full-time head coach as he moves forward. Now, he made some baffling rotation decisions last season in Memphis. So there's a lot of people out there who look at this and go, oh, this means all these young guys are going to be playing tons of minutes. Well, Garland was already playing 30-plus. Sexton was yeah. playing 30-plus. Porter's minutes were already up to 30 a game. I, I don't think Bickerstaff's coming in and go, all right, Kevin Love, thanks for your time. You're out. Uh, Larry Nance, you're going to start. Uh, that's just not something that's going to happen. Now, Love, of course, could get injured at any point. They'd probably be wise to play him here 28 minutes a night instead of 34 minutes a night. I think we do have to hold Nance just to see what they do there. But I don't think Bickerstaff coming in, and this gets overblown all the time. Whenever a new coach comes in, everyone thinks that everything's just going to change wildly. And in reality, that coach that's there has already been there discussing all this stuff and having significant impact into how the rotations go previously. And they're just going to keep rolling with what they had majority of the time. Yeah, I guess there's a rumor came out that Whiteside and Bazemore for a love uh, trade was, uh, I guess, at least talked about. But yep. I think he was dealing with like Achilles soreness. So that's uh, who knows how serious that is. But with he's always a shutdown risk as is. So, yeah, but but the thing with Nance is um, he he is not right now if they don't make a trade or if he gets hurt, you know, that's so deep in the front court. He's he's not really usable uh, in some fantasy leagues, but uh, definitely worth stashing. Uh, Kevin Porter Jr., where do you where do you project him then moving forward? Um, I'm just going to have a look and see. Look, I've got him sort of in that top 120 type of an area. Um, if it, look, if, that's if he gets 30 minutes or not. I think he could actually push higher than that. I've sort of gone as a middle range thing, 28 to 31. So I've got him at 30 minutes a night. He does have some issues with the you know, lack of peripherals, like a low assist, like not huge steal numbers. Um, but I, he could actually have a stretch of you know, 16, 17 points per game. I don't think that's crazy for him. Uh, take over some of those Chetty Osman minutes, get rid of the Matty Dellavedova minutes, get rid of the X some minutes and he just takes the bulk of that plays sort of that Jordan Clarkson role but plays it uh, with more minutes and that could easily push him into the top 100 sounds good all right next next on the uh on the agenda I wrote down we're checking in on Andrew Wiggins experience really the truth is the jersey's in the mail I'm gonna unveil it next (laughs) week when Andy's back on the show here live no one tell him uh uh, what are your thoughts in all seriousness, Josh, from real basketball perspective? Uh, we've seen him, after seeing him D up LeBron and Devin Booker through two games, uh, Draymond praising him. You know, you look in the numbers, Carl Anthony Towns ranks like four 
42nd out of 448 basketball players on defense. So he was the problem, I think. So talk, you know, talk me out of this craziness. Uh, in seriousness, Josh, what do, you, what, what do you think about Wiggins and Golden State? I think there's a great opportunity for him because, of course, that scenario, that environment in Minnesota wasn't the greatest. And that last game before the break was ridiculous. 27-4-5, two steals and four blocks. Like Getting that from Wiggins, you just never expect it. I don't know if I'd put huge stock in it, but he's had seven steals across three games. He had a five-steal game, then he had a two-steal game. He had five blocks across three games. And that was really one of those things holding him back. And if he can channel the defensive schemes and listen to what Draymond says and is able to get them at a higher rate, then yeah, look, the top 40, top 50, top 30 maybe he could push into because we know he's going to be a 20-point-per-game scorer. Uh, If all that stuff can come together, there's a chance. Now, he has hit... Uh, his threes at a pretty ridiculous rate. I think he's at uh, he's hit, had attempted 15 threes and he has hit eight of them so far in his three Golden State games. So that's going to come down. But overall, that's those defensive numbers and having again not uh, one of the worst defenders in the league in Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah. They're you know, playing center behind him. He's probably going to help. And that if he can then gamble a little bit more on the perimeter, then we'll see. Uh, it's uh, definitely do have some hope for him though. Hey, those jump shot numbers aren't going to come down when he's sharing the court with Steph and Clay, and they're wide open. Uh, in, in all seriousness, what are your expectations for Steph? He's probably looking at what, like, twenty-eight minutes per game when he does return, and it sounds like Kerr really wants him to play. Yeah, I'm. I've been on that boat for most of the season that he will come back. I think 28 to 30 is probably fair. I think he'll start off in you know, 25, 26, and then push to 30, 31 on a similar sort of minutes diet that Draymond's been playing. Some nights he plays 33, some nights he plays 27, and it averages out to that high 20s, low 30s sort of a mark, which is going to put Steph in that top 30-ish, top 40 type of discussion, I would guess, around those minutes. Um, he's just going to do what he does really like he's going to come out he's, he's going to score he's going to hit threes he's going to hopefully be efficient he's going to get his assist i think it's just going to be uh more of the same but on a 80 you percent know, value as to what he would normally do i would be surprised however if clay does return uh, oh yeah no. this season one other guy I want to check in on, what have you, Josh, is Zion, man. The defensive stats have not really been there. If you look at, you know, the nine cat leagues, the insane field goal percentage of uh, real life. I mean, it's the highest plus minus on the Pelicans for this season, and he's playing out of shape. Uh, uh, recently, it came out the news that they're unclear how they're going to treat his back-to-backs. Um, he doesn't have one until early March, and I believe four sets remaining. Um, you projected him, I think, the 70th play- type player moving forward. Just talk Zion Williamson. Yeah, look, the defensive stats is interesting because him coming out of college, look, those numbers were crazy. Like they were historically yeah. good. He steals and his block numbers, and they haven't translated uh, at all at this point. He has the highlight blocks, you know, the big ones where he spikes him into the crowd, but just overall, those numbers haven't been there. And that really is the difference between him being the 60th or 70th best player now or being a top 20 player. Because if he starts averaging 1.5 steals and 1.5 blocks, then he's immediately that top 30, top 20 type discussion. And that, that's really what's holding him back because the efficiency is fine. The scoring's great. He's grabbing rebounds, all that stuff that we expect him to do, he's doing. It's just that those defensive numbers won't come. I'm not sure they will this season, I reckon. And hence, you can see that with the projection. I think they will come eventually. I'm just not sure they're going to come this season. Right, yeah. Now, I definitely they are coming. But yeah, I was actually surprised to see you tempered your expectations. So still, it's exciting, though. And it looks like he's going to you know, live up to the expectations, if not surpass them, which is fun. Now, just stay on the court. 
All right, um, good stuff. Let's talk some, some pickups here. We already talked uh, Bruce Brown and the Minnesota Bigs. So Malik Monk is showing up way up on the Yahoo most added list. 24% owned. Uh, I know I had a big game before the break with Terry Rozier, who's back now with him out and now Rozier's back. But Monk admitted recently he wasn't ready for the NBA last season. Now he's shooting a lot better. Uh, what are your thoughts on adding him? Yeah, I think he's worth a look. They are obviously, you can see the minutes trend. It's been trending upwards for Monk, and that's always a good sign. Well, Dwayne Bacon's basically out of the rotation now. Batum's no, nowhere to be seen. Um, I don't think Monk's going to start. Like in that last game where we saw Rogier out, that did help his performance. But Terry will be back. But Monk will still get his 28 to 30 off the bench, playing behind both Graham and uh, and Rogier. And yeah, as a guy who you look at those options, uh, we talked about like a Kevin Porter. He's like, a, if you miss out on Porter, then, then Monk's a fine ad. who can add points and threes and maybe not do a huge amount else. He can handle the ball a little bit, but there's so many of those sort of guys. You know, JJ Reddick's and Terrence Rosses and those sort of guys. Seth Curry, another name we're going to talk about in a second. Like they're all in that area. Um, and he's got, look, who's got that upside to push into high minutes? And Monk is one of those guys. Yeah, man, I was drafting Bacon at a lot of my dra- in-game draft and de- did not turn out well. Um, go ahead and talk about Seth Curry. I believe he might have just recently passed his brother as the, the current leader in the three-point uh, best ever three-point uh, shooter uh, as far as field goal percentage. But fantasy-wise, he, he showed up on this list, but but it had to do with some injuries, I think. What are your thoughts on him moving forward to the second half? It's really hard to predict what Dallas is going to do from a starting lineup basis. Um, we've seen Courtney Lee randomly get chucked in there. JJ Breyer gets chucked in there. Uh, we know Dwight Powell's out for the season and Hardaway and Finney Smith and, and Doncic and Porzingis are going to start. But that other position, is it going to be Cleaver sometimes? I think we can have a fairly high degree of reliance on Curry playing at least mid to high 20s in minutes. But again, where's the upside in him? What's he going to do outside of hitting those threes? And he does it efficiently. We know that that's really great. And especially if your league is including three-point percentage, that's a huge bonus. But yeah, what's his real upside? Can he ever push into the top 100? It feels a little, feels a little doubtful just because of the uncertainty of that role and what else is he doing outside of uh, hitting some threes and scoring. Yeah, I agree. I'm not rushing out to grab him. Probably not Kobe White either. And I say, oh, well, maybe a points league or maybe you'll talk to me. Uh, you, you, you disagree. Chris Dunn looks like he's probably, unfortunately, going to be out for the season. I was stashing him in a few leagues. Fantastic real-life player for the Bulls this year. Surprisingly, just playing such good defense. Uh, Otto Porter Jr. may return, but Kobe White's the guy showing up on the, the popular ads uh, this week. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, well, he's going to be real rough on your shooting numbers. Like, that he has shown no ability to rein in the bad shots so far this season, and it's reflected in his overall uh, shooting numbers. He's at, what, 37% from the field, uh, hitting 34% of his threes, and that's somehow gotten worse over the last month, where he's at 31% from deep. He is a low-assist point guard. He gets no steals. Like There's nothing there that I go, wow, this is all fantastic stuff from uh, from White, who's averaging one one steal per 36. Like that, That's not a high number. 3.6 assists per 36, Like that is really, really low for a point guard. Uh, taking a lot of shots, but you know, true shooting of under forty eight percent is is a rough number. Now, in a in a points league, you're right; he can bludgeon himself to some sort of value by having these big scoring nights. But he's been so inconsistent. He'll have some good nights, and then he drops off. Although, in saying that, he's scored in double digits four of his last five games, and the assists have been up for him. You just really got to watch that field goal percentage because the more minutes he gets, the more shots he takes, and the worse he impacts that category for you. So while he is a a guy to look at, again, behind these names that we've mentioned, like Porter and like Monk and even like Curry, I'd probably prioritize him behind those guys because even though Dunn might be out for the season, and that's what it's looking like, you are going to get uh, Porter returning. You are going to get near Markinen returning. And while they play different positions, there is a, a shot distribution situation we need to look at. 
Yeah, it definitely depends on your format. Could really be a drain in field goal percentage for sure if the volume could be up there too. Uh, and finally, Jay Crowder, a number four fantasy player over three games with the Heat, obviously just is due to this unsustainable shooting, right? Yeah, I think he's what, hitting 70% of his threes over that time. He also played like 35 minutes in each of the first two games, and then things sort of got back to normal in that third one where he played 25 minutes. And I've had this problem with the Heat all season, and, and people criticize or question you know, how I'm projecting things. Like, Why are you so low on, on, uh, on none? Why are you so low on here? I go, you try and figure out how all these players are getting all these minutes. Like It's really tough to do. And in games when Hero comes back, like Crowder can't play 35 minutes a night. If they're going to do that, that means they're going to push Hero out of the rotation entirely. Or Derek Jones is going to be out of the rotation entirely. Or um, Robinson's going to play 20 minutes a night. And none of those things seem like realistic possibilities. So... Most likely, we're going to get 25 to 27 minutes of Jay Crowder. He's going to have hot shooting nights, and he's going to be terrible, as we saw all through his you know, season for the Memphis. He'd have that, like, what, he had dropped like 40 or something on the Clippers and then had two points the next game. That's sort of what he does. So, yeah, by all means, you want to just have a short term at it and, and try it. But what those first two games entailed for Miami is just, I don't think it's a realistic expectation for him as we move forward. All right, I'm going to throw three quick, real deep ones at you. Gary Trent with maybe Hobble, Damian Lillard, Jabari Parker in Sacramento, Jordan Poole, the new starting point guard at Golden State, probably a pass on all three. Yeah, look, Gary Trent was playing well. And the last couple before the break, he did drop off a little bit. Um, there is an opportunity there, of course, with Lillard out, but he's, again, more of a, a points and three sort of guy who has had a pretty good steal rate this season. Uh, Jordan Poole is inter- interesting. I think that in terms of role, his role looks relatively solid until at least Curry comes back. Uh, and then I think he can settle into at least a 25-minute-a-night role uh, as a as a guard coming off the bench, uh, again, shooting numbers struggle much like yeah. much like Kobe White yeah. very similar in that sort of an area uh, who was the third guy you mentioned Jabari Parker oh Parker Jabari Parker yeah look people really love Jabari Parker I've seen that in, in my mentions on Twitter man I've got to go add Jabari Parker I just think he's going to play off the bench behind Nemanja Bielica who's going to play his 30 minutes a night and then what Parker gets 21 or, or 22 minutes a night Jabari Parker isn't that good he's not someone that they should be looking at they're not going to just roll him in and play him 30 minutes a night behind uh, Bielica there now of course when um yeah with Holmes out it does change things a little bit because yeah, Bielica plays a little bit more at center and, and Holmes may not return this season. Same with Bagley. I think there's a decent chance neither of those guys play again. But I don't think that we're getting 30 minutes of um, of Jabari. And I don't think we're getting that high usage rate that he has had at times when guys like Fox and Bogdanovich and Heald are all going to be prioritized over him. Yeah, no, I agree. I'd be shocked if, if Bagley does return this year. But having said that, no thanks for a pass for me with Jabari. And uh, Jordan Poole, uh, yeah, talk about worrying about hurting your efficiency numbers. Oh, yeah. uh, that might look like a miss there on that draft pick there. Cool, good stuff, Josh. Appreciate it. Real quick, in case you missed it segment, we'll talk a little. KG went on a press tour while back in his hometown in Chicago. Um, there's a good All the Smoke podcast, a um, uh, good column in the Chicago Tribune. Some interesting things. I uh, He talked about his favorite trash talkers. Uh, he also said the Lakers were his first choice before going to the the Celtics. Said he wanted to link with Kobe, but Kobe never called him back. And and Nash, uh, there was an interesting thing about taking a pay cut with Amari. But um, do you have any thoughts on, on KG? Um, KG obviously has uh, never never afraid to uh, to speak his mind. Um, at all, yeah. Half the stuff that he, he says, I think you got to take some. You got to take some of it with a grain of salt. I think he there is a a, a definite um, want to embellish some of the stuff that he says, but it is interesting, and especially the, the stuff talking about uh, Chicago was pretty interesting to me. 
For sure. Yeah, I know. KG, he's been, his press tour has been very entertaining. I heard him on a couple podcasts. He's very forthright, and I appreciate that. Uh, uh, people liked Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems, but he stole that movie for me. Um, anyway, appreciate it, you guys, for listening. We'll be back next week. Subscribe, write us a nice review on Apple Podcasts, and tell a friend about the show. You can send us questions. Follow us on Twitter, at Yahoo Fantasy. Josh is at RedRock underscore B-Ball. I'm at Dalton Del Don. Thanks to producer Ragu. Uh, thanks to Andy, wherever he is, sipping my ties. And thanks a lot to Josh Lloyd from Basketball Monster and others. Uh, and we're out.